1: LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com/iheart. That's lifelock.com/iheart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here.
2: Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200k for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billings, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's p-a-c-a-s-o dot
3: hi hello there this is let's talk about myths baby and i'm your host Liv, she who fucking loves reading ovid aloud because man is he fun you know well 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 we are back with part one of book two of ovid's metamorphoses i.e one of my favorite sources and absolutely my favorite source from the roman world Unfortunately, the same day that I decided to record this reading, I also got a review from someone who is particularly concerned with my use of Ovid. Whew. One star, they say. They clearly only listened to maybe a handful episodes, if they even did listen to more than one, because the review is absolutely based on my early episodes and not remotely relevant now, which frankly is the most frustrating type of review that i get people who listen to episodes from five years ago when there are obviously like 400 more they could listen to and then decide that they know enough to make sweeping judgments about my show and give it one stars and affect my rating and anyway like this person they think i don't give historical context and that i don't understand the society of ancient greece when these stories were developed as if that's not what i talk about to an obnoxious degree at this point And they also take issue with my use of Ovid, a Roman, as if I don't always remind you excessively that he is a Roman writing about Greek myth and thus he's biased and making his own choices and changes and not really interested in relaying the Greek myths exactly as they appeared in Greek sources. It's just that, well, he's often the only source that we have for a story and is that my fault, angry man on the internet? No, it is not. Anyway, here I am to tell you for the nth time that this is Ovid, and he's a Roman, and thus he's writing in the Roman time period about Greek myths, and he's making choices and changes for himself, and so don't take this as a Greek version of a source. It's just fun and beautiful and often the only detailed example that we have for a story. Okay? Anyways, thanks to all of you who give me five-star reviews to offset dinguses who don't actually listen to enough of my show to understand what I'm doing or how much I've grown, you are all the best and the only reason I can keep going and push past the inherent self-consciousness that arises from bad reviews, even when I know they're just irrelevant assholes. Okay, thanks. Here's Ovid. Just a reminder where we last left off, we'd been introduced to Phaethon, the son of, well, the sun, who is here called Phoebus because, again... This is Roman. It's a little bit late. And thus, Apollo, Phoebus Apollo, has overtaken the role of god of the sun. this is ovid's metamorphoses he's roman translated by brooks moore book two part one glowing with gold flaming with red stones on stately columns raised refulgent shone the palace of the sun with polished dome of ivory gleaming and with two portals of burnished silver And the workmanship exceeded all the wealth of gems and gold, for there had Vulcan engraved the seas encircling Middle-earth, the round of earth and heaven impending over the land. And there amid the waves were azure deities, melodious Triton and elusive Proteus. There Aegean pressing with his arms the backs of monstrous whales, and Doris in the sea and all her daughters, some amid the waves and others sitting on the bank to dry their sea-green hair, and others borne about by fishes. Each was made to show a fair resemblance to her sisters, yet not one appearance was assigned to all. They seemed as near alike as sisters should in truth and men and cities, woods and savage beasts, and streams and nymphs, and sylvan deities were carved upon the land, and over these an image of the glittering sky was fixed. Six signs were on the right, six on the left. Here, when audacious Phaethon arrived by steep ascending paths, without delay he entered in the shining palace gates of his reputed parent, making haste to stand in his paternal presence. There, unable to endure the dazzling light, he waited at a distance. Phoebus sat arrayed in royal purple on a throne that glittered with the purest emeralds. There, to the left and right, day, month, and year, time and the hours, at equal distance stood, and vernal spring stood crowned with wreathed flowers, and naked summer stood with sheaves of wheat, and autumn stood besmeared with trodden grapes, and icy winter rough with hoary hair. And from the midst, with orbs that view the world, Phoebus beheld the trembling youth, Fear struck in mute amazement, and he said, "'Declare the reason for your journey. "'What will you do in this, my palace, "'Phaethon, my child beloved?' "'And to him replied the youth, O universal light of all the world, my father Phoebus, if your name is mine, if Clymene has not concealed her sin beneath some pretext, give to me, my sire, a token to declare your fatherhood, which may establish my assured descent, and leave no dark suspicions in our minds.' Then Phoebus, from his shining brows, cast down his circling rays, called Phaethon to him, and as he held him to his breast, replied, O child, most worthy of your sire, the truth was told to you by your mother. Wherefore, doubts to dissipate, consider your desire, and ask of me that I may freely give you. Yes, the nether lake beyond our view, which is the oath of gods inviolate." be witness to my word. When this was said, the happy youth at once began to plead command and guidance of his father's steeds, wing-footed, and his chariot for a day. But Phoebus much repented that he swore, and thrice and four times shook his radiant head, Ah, would I might refuse my plighted word, and oh that it were lawful to deny the promised boon! For I confess, O oh son, this only I should keep from you, and yet it's lawful to dissuade, it is unsafe to satisfy your will; it is a great request, O oh Phaethon, which neither suits your utmost strength nor your tender years, for you are mortal, and you have aspired to things immortal. Ignorance has made your thought transcend the province of the gods. I vaunt no vain exploits, but only I can stand securely on the flame-fraught axletree. Even the ruler of Olympian gods who hurls fierce lightnings with his great right hand may never dare to drive this chariot. And what are you equal to mighty Jove?" The opening path is steep and difficult, for scarcely can the steeds, refreshed at dawn, climb up the steeps, and when is reached the height extreme of midmost heaven and sea and earth are viewed below, my trembling breast is filled with fearful apprehensions, and requires the last precipitous descent a sure command. Then also Tethys, who receives me in her subject waves, is wont to fear lest I should fall disastrous, and around the hastening sky revolves in constant whirl, drawing the lofty stars with rapid twist. I struggle on. The force that overcomes the heavenly body overwhelms me not, and I am born against that rapid globe. Suppose the chariot yours, what can you do? Can you drive straight against the twisted pole and not be carried from the lofty path by the swift car? Are you deceived to think there may be groves and cities of the gods and costly temples wondrously endowed? The journey is beset with dreadful snares and shapes of savage animals. If you should hold upon your way without mistake, yet must your journey be through Taurus's horns and through the bohemonian and the jaws of the fierce lion and the cruel arms of scorpion bent throughout a vast expanse and cancer's curving arms reversely bent, it is no easy task for you to rule the meddled four-foot steeds inflamed in fires that kindle in their breasts, forth-issuing in breathings from their mouths and nostrils hot. I scarce restrain them as their struggling necks pull on the harness when their heated fires are thus aroused.' And, O my son, lest I may be the author of a baneful gift, beware, and as the time permits, recall your rash request. You have asked for undoubted signs of your descent from me. My fears for you are certain signs that you are of my race. By my paternal fears it's manifest that I am your father.' Lo, behold my countenance, and oh, that you could even pierce my bosom with your eyes, and so discover my paternal cares. Look around you on the treasured world's delights, and ask the greatest blessing of the sky, or sea, or land, and you shall suffer no repulse. But only this I must deplore, which rightly named would be a penalty and not an honor. You have made request of punishment, and not a gift indeed. O oh, witless boy, why do you hold my neck with your caressing arms? For doubt it not, as I have sworn it by the Stygian waves. Whatever you shall wish, it shall be given, but you should wish more wisely. So were all his admonitions said. Availing not, for Phaethon resisted his advice and urged again his claim and eagerly burned to use the chariot. Wherefore Phoebus, long delaying and reluctant, took the youth to view the spacious chariot, gift of Vulcan. Gold was the axle and the beam was gold, the great wheel had a golden tire and spokes of silver chrysolites and diamonds reflected from the spangled yoke the light of Phoebus. While aspiring Phaethon admired the glittering chariot and its workmanship, the vigilant Aurora opened forth her purple portals from the ruddy east, disclosing halls replete with roses. All the stars took flight, while Lucifer, the last to quit his vigil, "'gathered that great host and disappeared from his celestial watch. "'And when his father, Phoebus, saw the earth and the wide universe in glowing tints arrayed, "'as waned the moons diminished at horns, far distant then he bade the nimble hours to yoke the steeds.' At once the deities accomplished his commands, and led the steeds, ambrosia-fed and snorting flames from out their spacious stalls, and fixed their sounding bits. Then, with a hallowed drug, the father touched the stripling's face to make him proof against the rapid flame, and wrought around his hair the sun rays. But foreboding grief, He said, while many a sigh heaved from his anxious breast, "'If you can only heed your father's voice, "'be sparing of the whip and use with nerve the reins, "'for of their own accord the steeds will hasten. "'Difficult are they to check in full career. "'You must not drive the car directly through five circles, "'for the track takes a wide curve.' "'obliquely, and is bound by the extreme edge of three zones. "'It avoids the southern pole, and it avoids the bear that roams around the north. "'The way is plain, the traces of the wheel are manifest. "'Observe with care that both the earth and sky have their appropriate heat. "'Drive not too low, nor urge the chariot through the highest plain. "'For if your course attain too great a height... You will consume the mansions of the sky, and if too low, the land will scorch with heat. You must take the middle plain where all is safe, nor let the wheel turn over to the right and bear you to the twisted snake, nor let it take you to the altar on the left, so close to earth, but steer the middle course, to fortune I commit your fate, whose care for you so reckless of yourself, I pray. While I am speaking, humid night has touched the margin of Hesperian shores. It's not for us to idle. We are called away. When bright aurora shines, the darkness flies. Take up the reins. But if your stubborn breast be capable of change, use not our car, but heed my counsel while the time permits, and while your feet are on a solid base, but not according to your foolish wish, pressing the axle. Rather let me light the world beneath your safe and wandering gaze. But Phaethon with youthful vigor leapt, and in the light-made chariot lightly stood, and he rejoiced, and with the reins in hand thanked his reluctant parent.
4: at purdueglobal.edu.
3: Instantly, Eus, Ethon, Pyrrhus, and Phlegon, the winged horses of the sun, gave vent to flame-like nays that filled the shaking air. They pawed the barriers with their shining hoofs. Then Tethys, witless of her grandson's fate, let back the barriers, and the universe was theirs to traverse. Taking the well-known road and moving through the air with winged feet, they pierced resisting clouds, and spreading wide, their pinions soared upon the eastern wind, far wafted from that realm." But Phaethon, so easy of their yoke, lost all control, and the great car was tossed as tapered ships, when lightened of their ballast, toss and heave unsteady in the surging seas. The car leaped lightly in the air, and in the heights was tossed unsteady as an empty shell. Soon as the steeds perceived it, with a rush impetuous, they left the beaten track, regardless of all order and control— and Phaethon, filled with fear, knew not to guide the th- trusted reins, nor where the way might be, nor if he knew if he should control their flight. Warmed in the sunshine, never felt before, the Gelid Tritonies attempted in vain to bathe in seas forbid— The serpent cold and torpid by the frozen pole, too cold for contest, warmed and rage assumed from heat, boots troubled by the heat, took flight, impeded by his wane. And as from skies of utmost height an unhappy Phaethon beheld the earth receding from his view, A pallor spread his cheeks with sudden fear, his knees began to quake, and through the flare of vast effulgence darkness closed his eyes. Now vainly he regrets he ever touched his father's steeds, and he is stunned with grief that so entreating he prevailed to know his true descent, he rather would be called the son of Merop's. As a ship is tossed by raging Boreas, when the conquered helm has been abandoned, and the pilot leaves the vessel to his vows and to the gods, so helpless he is borne along the sky. What can he? Much of heaven remains behind. A longer distance is in front of him. Each way is measured in his anxious mind. At first his gaze is fixed upon the west, which fate has destined he shall never reach. And then his eyes turn backward to the east. So stupefied and dazed, he neither dares to loose the bits nor tighten on the reins, and he is ignorant of the horses' names. He sees horrific wonders scattered round and images of hideous animals, and there's a spot where scorpion bends his claws in double circles and with tail and arms on either side, stretches his limbs throughout the space of two celestial signs, and when the lad beheld him, steeped in oozing slime of venom, swart, and threatening to strike grim wounds with jagged spear-points, he was lost, and fixed in chills of horror, dropped the reins. When these they felt upon their rising backs, the startled steeds sprang forthwith, and unchecked, through atmospheres of regions unexplored, thence goaded by their unchecked violence, broke through the lawful bounds, and rushed upon the high-fixed stars. They dragged the chariot through devious ways, and soared amid the heights, dashed down deep pathways, far precipitous, and gained a level near the scorching earth. Phoebe is wondering that her brother's steeds run lower than her own and sees the smoke of scorching clouds. The highest altitudes are caught in flames, and as their moistures dry, they crack in chasms. The grass is blighted, trees are burnt up with their leaves, the ripe brown crops give fuel for self-destruction. Oh, what small complaints! Great cities perish with their walls, and peopled nations are consumed to dust, the forests and the mountains are destroyed, Cilician Taurus, Athos and Timolus, and Etta are burning, and the far-famed Ida and all her cooling rills are dry and burning, and virgin Helicon and Hemos, later Iagrius called, and Etna, with tremendous redoubled flames and double-peaked Parnassus, Sicilian Eryx, Kynthus, Othrys, Pine-clad, and Rhodopate deprived his snowy mantle, and Dindyma and Mekali, and Mimas, and Mount Kithiron, famed for sacred rites. And Scythia, though a land of frost, is burning. And Caucasus, Ossa burns with Pindus, and greater than those two, Olympus burns. The lofty Alps, the cloud-topped Apennines. And Phaethon, as he inhaled the air, burning and scorching as a furnace blast. Saw destruction on the flaming world, and his great chariot, wreathed in quenchless fires, was suddenly unable to endure the heat, the smoke and cinders, and he swooned away. If he had known the way, those winged steeds would rush as wild, unguided. Then the skin of Ethiopians took a swarthy hue, the hot blood tingling to the surface. Then the heat dried up the land of Libya. Dishevelled, the lorn nymphs, lamenting, sought for all their emptied springs and lakes in vain. Boeotia wailed for Dirce's cooling wave, and Argos wailed for Erimene's stream, and even Corinth for the clear Pyrene. Not safer from the flames were distant streams, the Tanaeus in middle stream was steaming, and old Peneus and Tuthrantian Caicus, Ismenus rapid and Arcadian Arimanthus, and even Xanthus destined for a second burning, and tawny waved Lycormus and meander turning and twisting. And Thracian Melas burns, and the Laconian Eurotas burns, the mighty Babylonian Euphrates, Orontes, and the Ganges, swift Thermodon, Ister, and Phasis, and Alpheus boil. The banks of Spargius burn; the gold of Tagus is melting in the flames. The swans whose songs enhance the beauty of Myonian banks are scalded in the kyster's middle wave. The Nile, affrighted, fled to parts unknown and hid his head forever from the world. Now empty are his seven mouths and dry without, or wave or stream. And also dry is Menian, Hebrus, stream on, and the streams of Hesperland the rivers Rhine and Rhône and Poe and Tiber, ruler of the world. And even as the ground asunder burst, the light amazed in gloomy Tartarus, the king infernal and his spouse, the sea contracted and his level waste became a sandy desert, the huge mountaintops once covered by the ocean's waves reared up, by which the scattered Cyclades increased, Even the fishes sought for deeper pools, the crooked dolphins dared not skip the waves, the lifeless sea calves floating on the top. And it is even famed that Nereus hid with Doris and her daughters, deep below in seething caverns. With a dauntless mien, thrice Neptune tried to thrust his arms above the waters, thrice the heated air overcame his courage. Then... The genial earth, although surrounded by the waters of the sea, was parched and dry, for all her streams had hid deep in the darkness of her winding caves. She lifted her productive countenance up to her rounded neck, and held her palms on her sad brows, and as the mountains, huge, trembled and tottered, beneath her wonted plain declined she for a space, and thus began with parched voice, If this is your decree, O highest of the gods, if I have sinned, why do your lightnings linger? For if doomed by fires consuming, I too must perish. Let me now die in your celestial flames, hurled by your arm, and thus alleviate by your omnipotence this agony. How difficult to open my parched mouth and speak these words! Behold my scorching hair, and see the clouds of ashes falling on my blinded eyes and on my features. What a recompense for my fertility! How often I have suffered from the wounds of crooked ploughs and rending harrows, tortured year by year! For this I give to cattle juicy leaves, and fruits to man, and frankincense to you. Suppose destruction is my just award? What have the waters and your brother done?' Why should your brother's cooling waves decrease, and thus recede so distant from my skies? If not your brother's good nor mine may touch your mercy, let the pity of your heaven, for lo, the smoking poles on either side attest, if flames consume them or destroy the ruin of your palace. Atlas, huge, with restive shoulders, hardly can support the burning heavens, if the seas and lands together perish and your palace fall. The universe, confused, will plunge once more into ancient chaos. Save it from this wreck, if anything, survive the fury of the flames. So made the tortured earth an end of speech, and she was fain to hide her countenance in caves that border on the nether night. But now the Almighty Father, having called to witness the gods of heaven and him who gave the car, that else his power be shown must perish all in dire confusion. High he mounted to the altitude from which he spreads the mantling clouds and fulminates his dreadful thunders and swift lightning bolts terrific. Clouds were none to find on the earth and the surrounding skies were void of rain. Jove, having reached that summit, stood and poised in his almighty hand a flashing dart and hurled it, Deprived of life and seat the youthful charioteer, And struck with fire the raging flames, And by the same great force those flames enveloping the earth were quenched, And he who caused their fury lost his life. Frantic in their affright the horses sprang across the bounded way, And cast their yokes, and through the tangled harness lightly leaped, And here the scattered harness lay, and there the shattered axle, wrenched from off the pole, and various portions of the broken car, spokes of the broken wheel, were scattered round. And far fell Phaethon with flaming hair, as haply from the summer sky appears a falling star, although it never drops to startled earth. Far distant from his home, the deep Eridanus received the lad and bathed his foaming face. His body, charred by triple flames, Hesperian naiads bore, still smoking, to a tomb, and this engraved upon the stone Here Phaethon's remains lie buried, he who drove his father's car and fell, although he made a great attempt. Filled with consuming woe, his father hid his countenance which grief had overcast. And now, surpassing our belief, they say a day passed over with no glowing sun. But light afforded flames appeared to change disaster to the cause of good. Amazed, the woeful Clymene, when she had moaned in grief, amid her lamentations tore her bosom as across the world she roamed, At first to seek his lifeless corpse, and then his bones. She wandered to that distant land, and found at last his bones unsepulchred. There, clinging to the grave, she fell, and bathed with many tears his name on marble carved, and with her bosom warmed the freezing stone. And all the daughters of the sun went there giving their tears, alas, a useless gift, They wept and beat their breasts, and day and night called Phaethon, who heard not any sound of their complaint. And there they lay foredone, all scattered round the tomb. The silent moon had four times joined her horns and filled her disc, when they, according to an ancient rite, made lamentation. Prone upon the ground, the eldest, Phaethusa, would arise from there, but found her feet were growing stiff, and uttered moan. Lampetia wished to aid her sister but was hindered by new roots. A third, when she would tear her hair, plucked forth but leaves. Another wailed to find her legs were fastened in a tree. Another moaned to find her arms to branches had been changed. And while they wondered, bark enclosed their thighs and covered their smooth bellies and their breasts and shoulders and their hands, but left untouched their lips and called upon their mother's name. What can she do for them? Hither she runs, and thither runs, wherever frenzy leads. She kisses them, alas, while yet she may. But not content with this, she tried to hail their bodies from the trees, and she would tear the tender branches with her hands, but lo, the blood oozed out as from a bleeding wound, and as she wounded them, they shrieked aloud, Spare me, O mother, spare me, in the tree my flesh is torn. Farewell, farewell, farewell. And as they spoke the bark enclosed their lips, their tears flowed forth, and from the new-formed boughs amber distills and slowly hardens in the sun, and from there upon the waves is borne to deck the Latin women. Sickness, son of Stenilus by his maternal house akin to Phaethon, and thrice by love allied, beheld this wonderful event. He left his kingdom of Liguria and all its peopled cities to lament where the sad sisters had increased the woods beside the green banks of Eridanus. There, as he made complaint, his manly voice began to pipe a treble, shrill, and long grey plumes concealed his hair. A slender neck extended from his breast, and reddening toes were joined together by a membrane. Wings grew from his sides, and from his mouth was made a blunted beak. Now sickness is a swan, and yet he fears to trust the skies and Jove, for he remembers fires unjustly sent, and therefore shuns the heat that he abhors, and haunts the spacious lakes and pools and streams that quench the fires. In squalid garb, meanwhile, and destitute of all his rays, the sire of Phaethon, as dark as when eclipse bedims his wheel, abhors himself and hates the light, shuns the bright day, gives up his mind to grief, adds passion to his woe, denies the earth his countenance, and thus laments. My loss was ever restless from the dawn of time, and I am weary of this labor, void and endless. Therefore let who will urge forth my car, light-bearing, and if none may dare, when all the gods of heaven acknowledge it, let Jove himself assay the task. Perchance when he takes up the reins he may forget his dreadful lightning that bereaves of child a father's love. And as he tries the strength of those flame-footed steeds will know in truth the lad who failed to guide my chariot deserved not death. But all the deities encircle Phoebus as he makes complaint, and with their supplications they entreat him not to plunge the world in darkness. Jove would find excuses for the lightning bolt hurled from his hand, and adds imperious threats to his entreaties. Phoebus calls his steeds, frenzied with their maddening fires, and breaks their fury, as he vents with stinging lash his rage upon them, and in passion lays on them the death of Phaethon, his son. Oh, thank you so much for listening. Man, do I love to just read Ovid, you know? Very glad you all like it too. As I've said before, also, it, it just really saves me sometimes when I've s- just spent like six, ten-hour days writing episodes and recording and editing conversations. Sometimes I just need to sit down and uh, read some Ovid because it takes, it takes a zillion times less work uh, than the rest of the show and there are only so many hours in the day. For instance, I'm doing these two Book 2 episodes after spending the past few days writing like Thirteen, fourteen thousand 14,000 words on the Orphic tradition, and I'm not even done the third episode of it yet. (laughs) But when the brain starts to go swirly, your girl goes and sits in front of a microphone with a bit of Ovid to cool things down. Or in this case, heat things up, right, Phaethon? Too soon? 2,000 years is not enough for you? Let's Talk About Myths Baby is written and produced by me, Liv Albert. Michaela Smith is the Hermes to my Olympians and handles so many podcast-related things, from running the YouTube to creating promotional images and videos to editing and research. Stephanie Foley works to transcribe the podcast for YouTube captions and accessibility. The podcast is hosted and monetized by Acast. I am Liv and I truly love this shit and this job so much. Thank you.